let's get down to business with my guest, Tim White. Ding, ding, ding. I have never asked my guests this question, uh, but I do believe I already know the answer, and I'm sure he had no idea when he was first hired by the WWF WWE back in the mid-'80s, just what an incredible ride he was in for. Not only was he very well known uh, as a referee during the golden era, as we always refer to it, he also looked after and was very close to one of the largest personalities in the history of professional wrestling, Andre the Giant. It is so great to welcome one of my favorites from my days with the WWF, Tim White. Timmy, how are you? Well, Sean, uh, this was an absolute pleasure, and uh, I uh, I met you back in the day, and yeah. when you came on board, and you were a class act then, you were a class act now, I'm sure, and um, you know one thing that, uh, and I and it's been a long ride for me. I've been there. I've worked for the McMahon family now for um, 36 years in and out, wow. and yep. of course. My greatest days were traveling around the world with Andre, and you name a celebrity, a politician, a person. Yeah. I met. Uh, my life's been incredible, thanks to the McMahons and the in uh, the business. You know, yeah. it's it's really been a treat, and I've enjoyed every single second of it. Yeah, and I can't imagine you ever ever had any idea. Uh, tell me about uh, growing up in in Cumberland, Rhode Island. Uh, what that was like, and then uh, I don't know if you were into professional wrestling or how that road ever, uh, you know, was laid before you. But uh, give us some idea well, of how it all started. Well, John, and I don't want to bore your listeners with my life experiences, but um, I actually grew up in Pawtucket, Rhode Island. Oh, Pawtucket, yeah, yeah. St. Rayfield Academy, and I played baseball. Then I went on to Roger Williams uh, College at the time, now a university. I played baseball there. That's where I met Ed Cohen, who was a legendary um, uh, person uh, in with uh, Vince when uh, he decided or bought the business from his dad. Yeah. And uh, was going to take it worldwide, first nationwide, then worldwide. And Ed was one of his first employees uh, when they owned the Cape Cod Coliseum. Yeah. So it played ball together and graduated college. And uh, he knew I enjoyed uh, boxes and in uh, the fights. So there was, there was a boxing card down at the Cape Cod Coliseum. He invited me down because we may remain friends our whole lives. And uh-huh. uh, I met uh, Vince McMahon that night, mm-hmm. and he asked me what I was doing. And uh, my, my degree um, from college was Administration of Justice and Law Enforcement, and I had been appointed to the next FBI Academy. And um, what happened was the economy was pretty bad at the time. And... Um, uh, so the uh, the federal hiring was delayed for a year or two. So I met Vince. He goes, well, Bob, what are you uh, what are you going to do? And I said, Well, I'm just working. My brother has a small company. I'll uh, yeah, I'll just hang on there and wait to hear. He goes, Well, I'm buying the business, and <laughs> we're going to be moving to Connecticut shortly. And if you like to come on board, what do you know about wrestling? I said, <laughs> Absolutely nothing. <laughs> nothing. <laughs> And he goes, name five wrestlers. 
this is unbelievable. I said, well, no disrespect, uh, Vince, but uh, I came up with Bruno, Chief J, and and Andre. And he goes, that's it. (laughs) You know how Vince is. I said, I I don't want to offend you, but, you know, I'd watch it on TV on Saturday mornings with my brothers, and we'd go out wrestling around the yard, and and then I was was doing other things. But um, Mm -hmm. uh, anyway, I jumped on board, and I never looked back. So you were going to be a federal officer? Was that the initial plan that you were? Yeah. To be in? Yes. Yeah. I was. A, I was the uh, my uh, the the, uh, the state of Rhode Island both senators at the time appointed yeah. me to go to the next FBI school, uh-huh. and uh, that then, um, due to the economy or whatever was happening at that time, all schools and federal hiring were were put down. Uh-huh. So that's how I just had this interim and. Uh, to be honest with you, Sean, it's funny how uh, life works out, right? Yeah, yeah. I've had friends for years that were chiefs of police that uh, worked for the FBI, Customs, Secret Service, and they say, you are the luckiest bastard in the world. <laughs> that, you know, we put on the TV, there you are in Australia, there you are in Japan, you're mm-hmm. just having a blast and seeing the world, and it's not all that. We thought when we were younger, it was cracked up to be. So it's funny how life works out. Just when you think you got kicked in the you-know-what, the door opens, you meet someone, you take an opportunity, and you go for it, and it's been just terrific. So what do you think it was about that Vince saw in you that was it the connection to Ed or or he just saw something in you that uh, well well Ed, Ed said wait wait until you meet uh, my friend Tim uh, he put himself through college mm-hmm. and it was a private college he worked third shift in Attleboro Mass drove down took courses he was the captain of the team and our cleanup hitter because I want to meet this kid uh, and he uh. did and we hit it off and then. You know, I thought uh, I thought everything. <clears throat> excuse me. I thought everything was going great until he said, "Name five wrestlers," and I couldn't yeah. do it. So, uh, <laughs> so <laughs> that's funny. Funny, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, and did you have uh, dreams of baseball? I mean, you got your uh, the Pawtucket Sox down there. No. <laughs> well, you know what? Uh, I. <laughs> you know what? When you're a kid, right? And, yeah. And and all of a sudden you're batting clean up and you're hitting well. And all of a sudden you have these delusions. And that's that's the thing about professional wrestlers. When they make it to the WWE now yeah. slash WWF, once they get in the ring now, they are the cream of the crop. Yeah. So uh, why I was in college and I'm thinking I'm all that, I went to a Red Sox-Minnesota uh, Twins game. and. Uh, you know, I'm old now, so I'm watching Rod Carew warm up and just play catch. And right then, I knew you're never going to be a major leaguer. So that <laughs> one playing catch. That way, I mean, they were just playing catch. Yeah. Then you realize where you're at. But going back to the Pawtucket Red Sox, uh, they became a Triple A team when I played in high school for St. Rayfield's, and um, uh, St. Ray's had the field for all their home games at McCoy Stadium, which is a major league field. So how great was that for us? Mm-hmm. So the Pawtucket Red Sox guys 
used to have to wait for us to finish our games before they could come out and do their band before their games because, of course, we played in the afternoon. Yeah. And I had guys like Cecil Cooper, Juan Benitez, um, uh, Rick Burleson, all those guys waiting back in the 70s, right? Yeah. Waiting, and, and I'll never forget Cecil Cooper said, man, you you got a great swing, but when you're waiting on a pitch, I can see that little hit. So they were actually, because let's face it, these guys are in AAA ball, but they've only been on a college or high school themselves a couple of years. So you think they're big, big stars. Of course, they all went on to be superstars. Jim right. Rice said that team was loaded, loaded in Pawtucket, but they were the nicest guys because they were only three or four or five years older than we were, you know? Right. So yeah. it was cool. Yeah. It was a great experience. It sure yeah. was. You know, and I get off the tracks on this podcast a lot, but since we were there, I'm going to uh, tell this story to you real quick is that, you know, before I, I uh, went to work for the WWF, uh, WWE, I worked with Major League Baseball Productions. And I was this young, I mean, I was this kid who, uh, you know, grew up in Tucson, Arizona. We didn't even have an MLB team anywhere near close to us. So I, I go back and I have this great opportunity to work for this company. And I ended up working on a show called Greats of the Game. And one of the uh, shows, uh, you know, I mean, we did featured Ted Williams and, you know, they used to go to uh, Florida for spring training. So we went down there and we'd always heard, you know, at this point, you know, Ted was, you know, he could be testy, you know, but to sure. me, he was, he was like the real life John Wayne. And, uh, I just, I just remember we went down there and we went to the camp, you know, the Boston Red Sox camp and he would go down there and do, you know, help with some instructions like that. And, uh, we said, you know, we're, we're here to meet with, with Ted Williams for this show. And they said, well, he's out there by the lake. So we, we uh, walk out there. There's this lake nearby there. And he's sitting there, uh, or standing there, standing there, rather. And there's this father with his son. And they're fishing offshore there. And Williams must have seen him. And he goes over and he's just standing there watching these people. This, you know, they're fishing. They have no idea. That's Ted Williams probably 20 feet from him. And finally, he can't take it anymore. He sees the dad instructing this kid with the, the rod. And he goes, you know, get, get, I can't take it. He goes, get, come here, come here. I got to show you something. So he's working because he was a big fisherman. So he sits there and he works with this kid, I swear, for a half an hour, teaching him how to cast. And the kid ends up catching a fish. And I, the kid, I'm sure, didn't know who Ted Williams was, but obviously the father was. He couldn't speak watching this happen. And at that moment in time, I was saying, my God, I am seeing John Wayne <laughs> working with a kid here and it turned out to be one of the most uh unbelievable weekends of my life just sitting there and having him tell stories and uh really it was well, it's just something else to be to be and he was and i was never really starstruck by these the ball players i've met all kinds of these hall of famers but i'll tell you what ted williams was definitely it there's no question about it absolutely yeah. right and uh and uh and he uh uh, like in our business, there's yeah. certain people that stand out, yeah. and there's been thousands that were greats. I mean, terrific greats. But Ted Williams, from uh, his service to his country and everything, yep. the, the running joke used to be, because I'm a big Red Sox fan, right, that um, um, Yaz would get the spring training yeah. <laughs> in eight, day, eight, eight yeah. days in, right? Yeah, yeah. He had back spasms. And he was out fishing with Ted Williams, talking about hitting in in baseball. 
guys like Yaz, once you're that great, you don't really need spring training if you show up in shape. And that's what some of these guys do. And uh, professional athletes in every sport now, it's yeah. a it's a year-round process, and they're right. ready. So yeah. that that nonsense of throwing extra pitches or or swinging extra times, your body's going to do so many. So um, every year, and even me as a kid said, this back, this back spasm stuff has to be, no, it can't be. And he, and then it turns out he, he was just with Ted talking hmm. about the players on the team, hitting all that. And, uh, you know, there's you as a triple crown winner and, uh, two of the greatest Red Sox players, I mean, ever. So. Yeah. And, yeah, no kidding. And and folks, and, we will get to what we uh, <laughs> we're here to talk about very soon. But it, it just goes to show. You, I mean, there there are people, and like you mentioned, there are guys in professional wrestling that just stand out. And uh, like we mentioned, Ted Williams, and you know, here's a guy who had already was hitting. You know, that year that he hit 400, and he could have sat uh, when he did it. He already was done. He they he, he didn't have to, and he ended up going in the game, and I think he hit two home runs that day, or, but, or went three for four or something and ended up... Oh, he's, le- he's legendary. Yeah. Yeah. He wasn't well, he was. in just going to take a seat. And that's why there's great men among us, okay? Yes. Yeah. I mean, there's superstars in every sport, but then there's great men in that sport, and he certainly was one of them. Yeah. And I think and he hit a home run his last at bat. Okay, folks, that's it. We're going to off baseball here, but... Really, okay. Uh, we well, can go on for hours. Well, thank, thanks yeah. for my baseball tales. <laughs> when I get back to Rhode Island, no one wants to hear them. Yeah. And, uh, you know, hey, what can I tell you? I got a ton of stories. We will one day, maybe we'll be able to, uh, we'll share them. And I'm sure you got a few too. But, uh, you know, getting back to you, you meeting events uh, and he hires you. Now, folks, at this point in time, uh, the would you say, Tim, that maybe the corporation didn't quite, uh, well, it wasn't quite what it is today. Uh, give us some idea what uh, I think the staff was at that point. I think Howard may have already been there, but what what, what did the company look like back then? Well, um, it was bare bones, and yeah. Howard was there. And uh, I understand that Howard's having some health issues, so I yeah. wish him the, the yeah. best because uh, we've been through it all. And uh, I basically went down there and uh, – and, um, I said, well, what do you want me to do? I don't know anything. So, well, you're going to help fold up the t- T-shirts and the things and pack the truck. And 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 then we left Cape Cod and we headed for Connecticut. And believe me, um, Shane and Stephanie were kids. Yeah. Shane um, uh, was in his teens and um, uh, uh, started into his, maybe he was 12 or 11, 12 and Stephanie was smaller, of course. Yeah. And um, they were in the backseat of Vince's car, and he actually helped Vince and Linda helped us pack up the, the rider truck that we would drive to Connecticut. I still didn't know what I was doing, really, mm-hmm. nothing. Just get to Connecticut, we'll unload all this stuff, and uh, we'll go from there. And um, And then I started learning. So... My first experiences when we left the Cape were uh, my duties were going to be to help set up the ring and sell the merchandise, which today it'd be hilarious when I talk to the guys now 
and I get to travel <laughs> a bit and go on appearances. And they said, what was the merchandise like back then? And now you know how old I am. Um, uh, they were those little round buttons that you would pin on your shirt with the, yeah. the picture of the face of the wrestler. So we had eight buttons. We had a um, Sergeant Slaughter Cobra Clutch T-shirt, a Jimmy Superfly shirt, and a, and a Chief J Strongbow shirt. And then we had, um, and Vince started his own magazine shortly after uh, Victory Magazine, which had, I think, two publications. So that that was our entire merchandise. Look where it is today, <laughs> right? So again, um, and if it sounds like, uh, uh, you know, I'm just drinking the uh, WWE Kool-Aid, I'm not. I've got to work and be around a genius who was so far ahead of time. And I just I just grabbed on and watched. I wish I had paid a little more attention. And I was offered positions higher up, but the higher up you go, it gets more. And I was pretty content um, just rolling the way I was. And uh, But when we left Cape Cod, he had bought the business from his dad, who mm-hmm. had partners, he had to buy them all out. Right. And um, yeah, we got to Connecticut, and if his uh, visions weren't correct, we weren't going to last, okay? Right. That was it. But uh, I didn't know, and I was just doing what they asked me to do because, again, I was waiting to move on to the FBI Academy. So it was primitive. That's what I have to say. Yeah. Uh, did you make the move down to Connecticut? With them? Well, I had to. Yeah. I had to. But then myself um, uh, and Mike Breen, who was my partner at the uh, Friendly Trap in Cumberland, because when we'd ride together, and I mean, there were some awful rides, and we would, like I said, uh, uh, putting up the ring yeah. and then go out and sell the merchandise. And, then you know, we, we paid our dues. But we were meeting these guys, and we were just having a good time. We were young guys. So... It was an adventure, and everything was great. But um, um, then I started to see it grow and grow. And everything that uh, Vince may have mentioned to me the night uh, our first meeting, like, you know, um, it's small and territorial right now, but we'll go here, here, and here. I had no idea what he was talking about because, again, I was – that very, um, I didn't know. I didn't know the business. So, yeah, we and got at that time, unloaded trucks and uh, off we went. And at that time, uh, folks, the you know the the territories, and we've talked about it many times. We're divided up across the country. Uh, the territory that that Vince and his or Vince Senior had carved out was the the northeast there, and that extended you know certainly all the way up. Uh, the New England uh, area, and then even into you know down into New York and and that area, and and a lot of that's that's where most of the sh- that's where the shows were done, and you guys would drive uh, hundreds of miles for these house shows, right? Exactly, mm-hmm. and uh, to, uh, to be honest with you, not just going back to the um, the, the uh, formative years of the business when uh, Vince and Linda um, uh, took over. But, uh, you know, we'd be in high school gyms 
Yeah. And carried the ring up four flights of stairs and oh, snowing. Man. We'd be in the Bronx. We did. It was hot. And the guys, believe me, back in the day, the main event guys uh, made some money. The other guys just loved the road and doing what they were doing. Mm-hmm. It'd be, we used to call it healing a room, a healing a, a car. If they had to rent a car or someone had a car, it was five in the car, five in one room. You know, pull the mattresses down, everyone shower, and move on. Because uh, they weren't making uh, uh, tons of money. Neither yeah. were we. We yeah. were just getting by on the road. Oh. Just getting getting by. But, again, I was just, uh, I was waiting, waiting, waiting for that call uh, to <laughs> go to the FBI. So, um, now it kept growing. Yeah. And it got bigger. And well, it got bigger. And uh, go ahead, Troy. I was going to say, who you mentioned Sergeant Slaughter. Um, who were the, uh, and I put in the quotes, of who were the big names, though, that were helping to carry the uh, the WWF at that time? Well, uh, I was uh, just in the, uh, the transition, and uh, Bruno, God bless him, who just passed away. Yeah. And I just, I think... That he was the face of professional wrestling, correct? Oh, I yeah. mean, he had the record for sellouts at Madison yeah. Square Garden. I mean, that's insane for the amount of uh, media back in the day and whatever. Yeah. What a gentleman. What a man. So um, that was handed off. And then uh, the next feller in uh, that was the first champ when I was there was Bob Backlund. Mm-hmm. Oh, you couldn't hand it to a better guy in the growth era because he was your all-American guy, just a terrific, terrific wrestler. And he would stay. You know what, Sean? It impressed the heck out of me because we're packing up the truck from selling the merchandise and get ready to take the ring down. And we'd look over and there's Bob back on in his three-piece suit signing autographs till every person got an autograph and left it. But it was a high school. It wasn't, there weren't thousands, and right. th- but they couldn't have been uh pass of the torch better than from Bruno to Bob Backlund. Mm-hmm. And now the business in the way Vince looked at it, it's going to change to the, um, more entertaining, more, you know, and so, uh, it moved on. At what point did you see it really start to change? We're talking pre-Hulkamania and before, but what, at what point did you say, you know, uh, and you said you recognized that you were working for somebody who certainly had a vision and uh, you know, a, a genius, as you well, described it. You know what? what did you really um, see it happening? Uh, a long, 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 yes. Uh, before WrestleMania 1. Yeah. And, uh, and, then, and, and then Vince, I mean, I, I don't ever play poker with Vince McMahon because he was broke. He was, mer- he was mortgaging everything he owned and everything he had, yeah. uh, you know. But he went and got handpicked the top talents from those other territories to come to WWF at the time. Mm-hmm. And now... You know, and we talked about territories. Crockett was in the south, Yvonne Erickson, Texas, uh, born out in the west. You know, and then, of course, you had you had the Canadian uh, fellows up there with Stu and Helen Hart in Calgary. And he picked, hand-picked, 
and because he he he, he paid he paid them a lot more than and they and they came. Yeah. And all of a sudden, every time, every time the lock, you know, the door were open, all of a sudden there they were these different faces, different guys. I didn't know who they were because, uh, again, I didn't know much about wrestling. Yeah. They said, oh, man, this guy's one of the best in Texas, this best guy. And uh, I said, wow. So he was putting together his first all-star team heading towards uh, the biggest, biggest gamble of his life, WrestleMania one. Yeah. And you saw these houses uh start to grow a little bit by a little bit every Yes. Month yes. Or so? But yeah. uh the the T V and uh it's not like today, Sean, of course, where uh, you know, the media you know everything within a right. second now. But yeah. um uh back when I started, um uh we 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 used to have to um 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 uh, pay to be on T V. Right. Yeah, I remember cases. having to run the tapes to different <laughs> TV stations and they play it because it was like an infomercial. So, but all that changed and it all changed and it coincided with what was happening in America, you know? Yeah. And um, all, all of a sudden, uh, as his plan was coming together, because he's way ahead of everyone, you know that. Yeah. But, uh, and, and listen, I have to say this because I love the McMahons, right? I, I, they're my employer, have been, but I consider them friends, and I've been with them through it all. And uh, uh, I'll, I'll tell you what: as this construction of the great wrestling uh, uh, the show that it is today, mm-hmm. Linda McMahon was is m- m- probably more important. Then Vince. Vince is the creator, the marketer, the visionist. Linda was the nuts and bolts, believe me, putting together TV deals and, re- and taking care. So they, they are the best team ever in the history of uh, wrestling because they uh, t- together made it where, where it is today. Yeah, and you mentioned that because you know Linda kind of stayed in the background through all that, even when it really started to grow. Of course, that changed all later, of it. But then, all you know, every bit of it. But yeah. I stood in the back, John, and I saw, and I was at some meetings where she was, uh, 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 you know, uh, licensing uh, TV contracts, all, and then the biggest deals I, they would it be the two of them making, but oh, I mean, there's only 24 hours in the day. And as, yeah. as, uh, as we hit, and I mean, when we hit big was right after WrestleMania one, it was a perfect storm, right? MTV cable television. He spent, I mean, talk about when we left Cape Cod to move to Connecticut. Mm-hmm. If WrestleMania one didn't hit the numbers they needed, all of us were going home. That's yeah. it. It was done. Yeah. And, uh, you're right. And, uh, that was, uh, you know, when, when Hulk came in and, and, uh, before WrestleMania one, was that, uh, a big wave? Did you feel it? Uh, when, when he came in that, uh, you're like, wow, this, this is, uh, <laughs> this is about to get crazy. Yeah, well, it is, it is. And again, um, um, I, it, it, I, I think the wrestling, uh, talent took over, mm-hmm. but it, it, it needed that jump start, and it got it from Cindy Lauper, Mr. T, um, 
Muhammad Ali, Liberate, they were all at WrestleMania 1, uh, pushing it and uh, and make it the spectacular that it was. And uh, and then we carried on from then. And now he had uh, assembled the best talent in, in, in the country and even uh, from Asia and wherever to keep rolling because the ball, he, he I mean, WrestleMania one was a huge success. Yeah. And, uh, what I did, what I did for WrestleMania one was I stopped, uh, putting up the ring and selling merchandise and they called me into the office and I worked with a fellow from uh, New York city that, uh, is a genius in, um, and in what was going to happen with pay-per-view television. So uh, WrestleMania 1 was half-closed circuit, and uh, the rest of the country wasn't, uh, you know, didn't have cable ability yet. Yeah. But I had a call, and, and uh, now there's like, what, three, four cable companies? Back then, every town had their own cable company. So I sat in the office for 10, 12 hours a day, and called every single little cable company and tried to sell them WrestleMania one. And then I finally get to the engineer cause, uh, I guess they had to send, uh, the, uh, Dakota boxes to the engineer to put, put it on their cable system. So, uh, I learned quite a bit from him. I, you know, I've, I've learned so much through the way really I have. And, uh, I wasn't just, um, cause I, I, you know what? I'm a pretty sharp guy, so yeah. I've learned every step of the way, and uh, it's, it's it, it was wonderful. It was wonderful to see what was going on, and every day the door opened up down in Greenwich. Then we moved to Stanford. Every day you didn't know who was coming through the door. It was the most extraordinary um, job to ever have. You didn't know, no day is like, oh, tomorrow's Monday, I got to do that. You never know what's going to happen. It was just great. I loved exciting. it. I loved it. Yeah. Uh, was that first WrestleMania, was it a tough sell? Uh, you're talking about getting on the phone and trying to sell to these cable companies, or were they anxious to Well, to yeah, yes, yeah, absolutely. Because some of these uh, cable companies, you know, uh, Rollins Cable in Lincoln, Rhode Island. Okay, I, I'm, I named Rhode Island my home. They had no idea about it. They knew what I knew the day I met Vince in Cape Cod. What? I said, yeah, it's we're trying. It's pay per view. If you agree, this splits this and this and that. And uh, if you subscribe, is buy. Beautiful. It's you lose nothing and you gain this money. So, but I'd spend, geez, some with some of them, I'd spend over forty five minutes. And then they said, so we're talking about what wrestling? And okay. I'm. <laughs> God, but it is what it is. Yeah, so, it got better. Um, <laughs> oh, I, I would say so, wouldn't you? Uh, yeah, I think so. Uh, but it, it, yeah. it's amazing, though, how much it, it changed. And But at the same time, now I didn't arrive until 88. And I tell people this, that even at that point in time, Tim, it was it was a relatively small company. We all knew each other. You know, you knew who was doing the, you know, the promotion. Uh, you knew who was, uh, you know, doing the, the, the tapes. I mean, they were still sending tapes out there. Well, you know, you know what? When you arrived, Sean, it was still the United States and Canada. And yeah. then he took it off the chart. And I'll tell you what, I... 
I went to the studios to do an, uh, an, um, and a few afterthoughts about uh, the Andre the Giant uh, uh, documentary. And I know nobody there now. And there's hundreds and hundreds. <laughs> yeah. But you know what? To the, your listeners, if they ever could see the organization, I just, uh, you know what? I can't comprehend it, how they do it week in, week out, live shows, their publications, their marketing, their geniuses, man. Yeah. It's unbelievable. Just go to an arena at 3.30 in the morning and watch the first WWE trucks roll in, okay? And then, I mean it. This, it's, it's, it's not, it, the talent, yes, that's, that's what uh, people pay to see. Mm-hmm. But those uh, those technicians, the stagehands, the sound people, the yeah. caterers, yeah. you got to see it to believe it. Yeah. What so they roll on at three thirty four in the morning. They unload. They set up the set. They, you know, whatever building. It's not the same thing every day for them because buildings yeah. are different. And then at eight o'clock that evening, we're live all all over the world. Yeah. It's just wow. Yeah. that's that's a tour right there just watching that happen. yeah it, it is incredible and i've been back to a couple lately and, and you're right tim it just blows me away just just the number of oh uh, my trucks outside of these arenas now it just it's it's just incredible oh yeah, yeah. and then everybody it's like the best military operation truck one in the stage everyone's well i mean it's just that's yeah i just watch and 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 you, and you have to remember this didn't just happen yeah. He's months and years ahead. It's just incredible. And yeah. here I am, and it's uh, 2018. And I yes, I still have a VCR, and I can't program it. So that's <laughs> the way things work. Well, sometimes it's better to keep it simple. Uh, we got a lot of ground to well, cover, and I want to talk about your 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 career um, in the ring. Uh, I, I I don't know how did you make that transition because, you know, you're on the ground floor. You probably could have ended up at the tower. Uh, doing something. I know that you did a lot more uh, besides being a referee, but how did that come about that you actually ended up getting involved for your, in these matches? Well, and I, I wasn't privy to the deals that uh, Vince made with, uh, with uh, Hogan and Andre. And, uh, and it was Andre's, Andre, I mean, Andre's best friend at the time, Arnold Skull and the Golden Boy. Yeah. And he was the coolest guy ever, okay? And um, when Mike and I would be done putting up the ring or we're selling them, he'd come out and ask us, where are you guys staying? We didn't know, right? We've mm-hmm. never been there. They said, he told us, you go here. You tell them you're with me. They give you the right. So that's how that started. And we became friends. And then when Andre returned from uh, Japan, as the wheels were in motion to the WrestleMania three, I mean, a couple of years out. And again, I said on the documentary, the first time I met Andre, he threw me out of the locker room. He yeah, it didn't go so well. <laughs> no, it didn't go well at all. Because again, I'm green. I don't know anything. But yeah. uh, so um, not knowing what the plans were going forward, um, I guess uh, Vince and uh, Chief J. Strongbow, a, was the lead agent on a lot of the um, live event shows, you know, the house shows. So yeah. um, he said, uh, um, 
you know, uh, Andre, uh, he, he loves Timmy. They just get along great. Thanks to Arnie. And he gave, finally, they invited me into their little circle. And he goes, I want to keep the boss happy. So would would he, uh, you think he would just travel exclusively with Andre? And he goes, well, I'm sure if we asked him, uh, they get along, you know, pretty good. He said, but you know what? In the finances, it wasn't really there. So he goes, you know what? He's, he's, he's smaller. He's athletic. Take him in the ring. Teach him how to referee. Ah. So, uh, and, uh, so uh, uh, Chief Jay walked me through my first matches, and uh, he told the boys, listen, help him out in the ring because he doesn't know much. And uh, that developed uh, uh, pretty good. So, uh, uh, yeah, that's how it started. So then we traveled exclusively, and I refereed every night. And I got, the, you know what? Like anything I've ever done, Sean, I'll get better and better. Just show me, tell me, and I don't forget anything. So uh, I got, uh, I got pretty damn good. So uh, this, that's uh, that relationship with with Andre is what what got you in the ring. But you kind of fast forwarded real uh, quick there, as far as uh, him initially. Uh, throwing you out of the locker room because he did not like to be interrupted and have people uh, get into his space. Yeah, well, you know what? Uh, you know what, kayfabe, the, the locker room was for referees and the wrestlers only. Right. You yeah. didn't just walk in there. When I walked in, he looked. I'll never forget it. I'll, I'll never, you know, sometimes you don't forget anything, right? <laughs> He's playing cards with Tito Santana. He looks as I walk through the door and I have the uh, lineup sheets that the chief asked me to go upstairs and get copies of, right? Yeah. So I figured I'm working for the company. I can walk in with them. Well, I learned my lesson. And then I hated him. Hated him. <laughs> oh, God. I wanted to get a crowbar out of the truck and go back in there and hit him in the head. Don't yeah. you ever chase me out. I'm not a bum, right? But uh, uh, as Arnie would keep telling us where they were staying and all that, finally, and uh, everyone knows, and, uh, um, uh, you know, I don't go right to my room. I like to have a couple of beers or a few drinks every night, which I've done my whole life, especially owning a bar. So, you know what, if uh, people say that's wrong, it's not wrong because, yeah. uh, you know, I, got, I took care of business. So that's the, what I do. But then all of a sudden, Andre gave me the big wave and invited me over to the bar, and then we were off and running. I know I'm speeding it up, but yeah. uh, it's a long, it's a long progress, really. So, yeah. um, well, I remember the day. Uh, I remember there was a day back then that you you actually kind of pulled me aside and you said you told me that you know Andre likes you, and I and and I because I was the same way. I mean, I just. I, I was told early on, you know, that Andre is, uh, you know, he's not this horrible oh, person yeah. or anything, but you just keep, if he wants to talk to you or if he wants anything to do with you, he will. And I, so I was very, you know, just kept my respectful distance when I, whenever he talked to me or we did interviews, I was, you know, as very respectful. Right. We had a great time. And I remember you told me that when I tell you, it floored me. I was just kind of like, wow. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, he was the boss, right. And, uh, he walked the way he wanted to walk. And then I saw people and I go, Oh, cause I feel bad for him. And it was like me walking into that locker room that first time they feel cause they're a technician. Some Andre, you need to do this. 
So he put it, you know, he looked at him. Oh, yeah, okay. And that'd be the last time they could even come and talk to him. I mean, he was fickle like that. But then if he liked you, you, you could approach him any time. He had to like you, but he had a great sense of human beings, believe me. And he felt your aura or whatever whenever he walked, when you walked up to him. And if he liked you, he'd do what he, you asked, if he asked, right? So he liked certain announcers and, and, and commentators and, and uh, interviewers, and then he didn't like others. So, um, and I watched him just like, and, you know, a few times he said, boss, come on, they're just trying to do their job. No. He just, once he said no, yeah. they were done. So, yes, he did like you because you gave him the proper respect. And when you did say, what what would you like to, uh, how many uh, take, uh, you know, how many questions should I, yeah, I mean, and then he had a good sense of people, like I said. So you were in, and uh, you were very good at your job, man. So. Well, I appreciate that, uh, but uh, it, it's it's amazing, and we'll and folks, we will get into the whole uh, relationship that that Tim had with with Andre. But uh, I'm also fascinated by because a lot of people don't really hear about what goes in goes on in the ring uh, as the third man, and it's it's a very very important position in there, and there really is an art to it. Uh, you said that you know you just paid attention. Was that really which was I guess was your classroom because uh, you you didn't there wasn't somebody who was really going to give you lessons you said they'd give you pointers and they'd help well, you out the ring but right but when guys were going over if they were going to do their first program together yeah. uh, a chief would say Timmy we need you to get there early just get in the ring and roll around with them and and get a feeling so it is a three way dance and it, again it it got more and more important as time went by because the matches got more and more high level where a sunset flip is not a finish anymore. And they started to include referees in the matches Mm -hmm. where, and that was a big thing with Vince too. Um, uh, Like I said earlier, he hired the best technicians, best thing. Then he wanted to get all the referees in house. Right, meaning we weren't just picking um, these guys no, up. No, in local. no, yeah, no, no, no disrespect to the the towns that had the athletic commissions or the guy that you know uh, uh, sold shoes to come down uh, every other month, and uh, they had no idea of what's going on or what's going on in the ring. So as the the matches got more sophisticated, he wanted to train his own people, which he did. And then I got to work with the great, uh, some of the great referees ever in the business. And it is a three-way dance and we all know it's entertainment, but uh, God knows I've had eight surgeries when you, uh, you should have zigged or zagged, uh, mm-hmm. You end up in the hospital. It's a, it's a show, but it's so physical. It's unreal. And uh, again, I work with these guys. They do it every single night, night after night, with the travel. So my hats off to them. And yeah. of course, when 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 I had to take a bump, I hadn't done it for uh, three weeks straight. So sometimes these guys don't know their own size or power, and uh, they hit you. And wow. You you know you say to yourself, holy crap, and uh, well you get out of it. But again, uh, the referees became a big big part of matches. 
then then at certain WrestleManias, there were certain guys that said make sure that I did their match, and uh, and uh, and, I, and that was that was a credit to me and to them because I you know I love working with these guys, you know yeah. I do. Yeah. It's yeah. terrific. Well, and initially, you know, referees, the, the less that you saw their presence in the ring, the better they were. That's kind of the way they looked at them. And then as things progressed, you know, you had people that you guys became personalities in this, and, and as, as you did. Uh, and, and they became part of some of these storylines. Because before then, a lot of these matches, you didn't go, you weren't in on what was going on with the match. They basically told you, we're doing this and this and this is the finish, right? You didn't really, you didn't know. Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and, and your job was don't blow the finish, yeah. know the spots, know the heat. You knew your spots and then get out of the way because yeah. there is, um, do you know how many people, Sean, actually went to an arena and said, I hope Tim White referees tonight and bought a <laughs> ticket? None. <laughs> Not one. Yeah. So as our friend The Rock would say, know your role. So yeah, but it is a three-way dance. There's spots in there that uh, that I. It's like a, it's a magic act. Okay, so people don't know need to know. Yeah. Um, uh, just enjoy the match. But honestly, when they work that hard, and we're building to the finish, and then you blow the finish, or you block a camera angle, there's a lot of stuff going on in there as it got more and more sophisticated, and uh, well. Um, the, I've seen fellas screw up matches and they didn't get a second chance. Well, I screwed a couple up and I got a second chance. Well, I was lucky, very yeah. lucky. But I think that's because I, I was under Arnie and Andre's umbrella. Like we cut him, we'll cut him slack because everyone liked me, you know. Yeah. So yeah, but you you became uh, absolutely one of the best. And do you remember? Uh, because you said, you know, the guys would request to, to have you in there with them. Uh, do you remember what your, you know, you're really the, the first big match, the one that really, uh, when you look back that that was the one that, uh, really stands out to you initially, one of your first ones. Well, you know what, uh, Sean, that, that's not fair because I've done so many championship matches with so many guys through the years. Yeah. And like I said, that was 30 something years ago so every one of them i was privileged believe me and i got excited so i remember some i remember some funny ones i remember some uh, you know like uh, um, they just interviewed me it's 20 years this year since the uh mankind undertaker hell in the cell and i was oh, the yeah. referee on that yeah. and you know what's unfair? And I'll just tell you, and we're on the phone, right? You call me, you ask me. So they call me from the studios and they said, so what were you feeling right then? <laughs> that was 20 years ago. Right. I can't, right. you know, I do remember this. I told them I was having, uh, I was having a heart attack through the whole match because when I spoke to uh, uh, Mick and Mark, they told me the, the spots I need to know, but I didn't know they were going to do some of that stuff. And then when it uh, when when it broke down, yeah. now I'm going, oh my god, oh my god, is he going to make it to the finish or what's going on? And now because you're always communicating back and forth, but uh, I'll never forget after he went through the top of the yeah. after he threw him off through the announce table, then he dropped down through and he's crawling to the corner, 
and then Taker climbs back down. He gets in the ring, and he goes, see if he's breathing. <laughs> and I get over to Foley, and um, and his nose is up. I mean, his uh, tooth is up through his nose. He's bleeding from his eyes, his ears, and everything. So, uh, you know, there's a little uh, grab that you can do to see if he wants to keep going, or should I just, you know, stop? Right. Oh, uh, and he, and he looks up and he goes, where are the tacks? He forgot where the tacks, which, uh, where they were left under the ring. So I told him, and I'm doing my hocus pocus in the ring. And I get back to Undertaker. He said, let's take it home. I said, oh, he, even I think Batter and I, like, he couldn't believe that this guy had that in him. Yeah. And, uh, he dumped, you know, he dumped the tacks all over the ring and, uh, then he made a move and Undertaker reversed it and tombstoned him. And uh, I think they picked about 40 tacks out of my arm from counting the one, two, three. And boy, was I, I was so happy that everyone lived through that thing and it was over. Boy. Yeah, I mean, there were points in that match that you must have really been saying, this this is insane. What this oh, guy. it is. And, and when he threw him off the top, I thought he was going to reverse something and they keep playing on the top and then climb back down and get into the, but when he threw him off the top down through the announce uh, thing, uh, I had no idea that was coming. And that's when I almost threw up and I'm going, <laughs> Oh God. So, you know, I, I think, um, I think, I think it might've been Sajan's could have been Sarge or Bruce Burchard up in the gorilla saying, see if he's okay. See, you know, because yeah. there's signs that you give if someone's, right. I mean, because you, you do something like that. You're hurt bad, man. You know, but yeah. Hey, well, I think, that's I think why it's seen... legendary. And, yeah. uh, I was just glad to be part of it. And I love both those guys. And that, that set the, uh, that set the bar for Hell in the Cell matches. That's for sure. That's yeah. for sure. Right. Yeah, but I don't know if anybody has ever been able to to match that. What about the, the 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 shoulder bump with you? I mean, how did that how did that happen? Well, you, you know what, uh, and uh, we walked through it, and that was in Nashville. And yeah. um, you know what, and I'm being honest with the fans. Those those cell matches, those TLC matches, they're very nerve-wracking because anything can go wrong because you're working with props and not just in the confines of the ring, you know? Yeah. So anything can go wrong. So I, again, of course, um, uh, 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 triple H and, and, uh, and, uh, uh, Jericho, they would always ask for me and I, and we just, just talk about a dance and a rhythm and everything else. So right. we walked through it. Everything's great, you know, and we'll get to that spot and, uh, and, uh, uh Triple H is going to throw Jericho back in the ring. He's going to keep rolling towards the ropes. Triple H goes in next. Then I start to climb up on the ropes and Jericho comes flying across with a, a flying forearm. Uh, Triple H ducks down. He hits me. And the one thing, you know, uh, we didn't go through. I mean, I knew everything. I mean, everything was there, uh, was that he hit me so hard when I flew off the apron. I hit it, but it was one of those chain link faces, uh, fences, not the bars. Yeah. So that became like a springboard. And when I hit that with the velocity I did, I had one second to put my arm out or break my neck. 
I put the arm out, and I had uh, previous surgery, so I had pins in there and ripped everything out. So that pretty much finished me up, uh, refereeing. But, listen, no one did anything wrong. We just didn't take into account that uh, uh, the spring off the uh, fence would be as uh, severe as it was. Anyway. the reason I bring that up, and we're talking the Helen and the cell that was in uh, uh, 2002, um, that it is, it, it's uh, not only, and, and there's no question, we've, we've mentioned how, what, what these superstars go through night after night with their bodies, but um, when you guys are involved in that, and it's not something you guys do every night, uh, it's dangerous out there. And, and uh, most of these bumps, you know, when they, when they do involve you, you're supposed to basically be knocked out of commission for whatever period of time. So you got to take a pretty nasty shot. Uh, how did you prepare yeah, for that? And, stuff? And you know, you can, well, uh, Sean, you, you, you don't. Well, we walk through it, and I know what I can take and what I can't. And I wasn't, you know, um, I can take bumps, okay? So, And that's why they, myself and Hebner Earl, took more hits. And oh, people go, how are you guys still going? But, um, um you know what? If you can take now, there's been situations where they they come to me and ask, "Will you take that?" And I said, "No, no." Nope. Really? There were there and was, uh, yeah, yeah, no. Nope. Come to mind? Not, not gonna do it. <laughs> not gonna do it. Do and you uh, and uh, and that's kind of tough because you're just a referee. But I said, yeah. "No, no, I can't. I won't do that one. I can do this, this, this." And then they come back and. Uh, they said, okay, we moved you. Now you take the rock bottom instead of getting hit with a chair or something. And I said, that's fine. Because I know uh, uh, Dwayne just picked me up and dropped me square, so I'm not going to get hurt, you know. So yeah. anyway. Well, there's a sense of trust, too, with these guys, uh, you know, that you. Well, were- yeah. And, and again, that's what you said. Uh, you know, we spoke about a lot earlier was the timing and trusting each other. Because what do those guys do to each other? In, in the course of a match, they trust each other and they have to know and they talk, you know, can you do this? Can you do that? If you're not comfortable with that, we can put this in. So that's, you know, uh, we're not out there. We're out there to entertain, not to get hurt because life goes on. Uh, Tim, I want to take a quick time out here on Primetime with Sean Mooney uh, so we can talk about one of our favorite sponsors. There are none other than... Dollar Shave Club. Now, everybody, uh, you know, out there listening, if you've got, uh, you know, if you shave every day like I have to, and you've got a thick beard like I have, I mean, I get up in the middle of the night. I uh, host a television show, so uh, I have to shave like two o'clock in the morning, and um, need to have a good razor. I have one of those beards that grows in all kinds of different directions, and I also have some very sensitive skin. Can you identify with what I'm talking about? So I really need to have a good shaving experience. And let me tell you about my Dollar Shave Club experience. Now, I've heard of all these other hosts, you know, talking about on these podcasts, you know, Dollar Shave Club and Dr. Carver's Shave Butter. But I wanted to find out for myself. When I first tried the six-bladed razors they have with the executive razor, uh, it had been, uh, you know, a long weekend. I had a really good beard going. Well, I got out that shave butter, and you can see right through it so I can see all the whiskers. I'm telling you, I got a tremendous shave so if you want to have a great shaving experience you got to check out dollar shave club and best part of all you don't have to go anywhere they deliver everything to you i mean everything and they also have shampoo they've got body wash and even toothpaste everything you need 
to look, smell, and feel your best. So guys, clean up your bathrooms, come on, and your morning routine, like with me, very early. Join Dollar Shave Club today, and for just $5, with free shipping, you'll get the six-blade executive razor, plus trial sizes of shave butter, body cleanser, and one-wipe Charlie's. Uh, you'll find out what you do with those, but they're great. And then you can keep the blades coming for weeks, week after week, for just a few bucks a month. Now, to get that deal and a tremendous shaving experience, all you have to do is go to dollarshaveclub.com slash primetime. That's dollarshaveclub.com slash primetime, and then get ready to have that tremendous shave experience. So, Tim, I want to get back to uh, one, I guess, half of, of your career with the WWF was uh, uh, not only being a great friend with Andre the Giant, but looking after him. And uh, how did that really, the, the, the relationship, I mean, from him waving you over in the bar to, you know, where you really became uh, close and then started traveling with him? Well, uh, Sean, and, and this will sound funny, very uneasy at the start because okay. I didn't know how much pain or after we've been in the bar as long as we were when we get in and his accent in that deep voice, mm-hmm. he must have thought I was a goof because I'd be driving and we always rented vans, right? Yeah. And he'd go, they're good work boss. And I'm going, yeah, and I'm shaking, and I'm going straight. I didn't, I didn't know he said, take a left, boss, oh, you know? Right. So uh, it took a while to get there, and I, even though we were friendly at the bar, now we're traveling with just me and him, and I was still a little bit intimidated because um, um, he was so, you know, he, he, he was Andre. But then that loosened up, and it became, it just became fantastic. And you know what happened? On the way to the show, we started to love each other and care about each other. Not a job. I'm not his driver. I'm not uh, the referee. We uh, and uh, everything we spoke about and talked about in the van uh, because we were we were best friends by then. Um, I never let out. I never let it out here either. I mean, uh, WrestleMania three. There were top, top people coming to me, and they, they're asking, is, is the boss going to put him over? I said, uh-huh. I don't know. He's sitting right there. Uh-huh. I knew damn well what was happening in that match. But the thing when you, when, you, when you trust each other and you ride down the road together, and there was, I mean, some top people asked me. I said, no, I'm not. No, we never discussed that. They said, you did, didn't you? I said, yeah, we did, but you don't need You know what? You ask him. So. Yeah. That became like uh, that became like uh, get smart the uh, uh, the cone of silence. So whatever we talked about and all that, because we were best friends, right. and uh, I was I was I was friends with Andre in the last third of his life, which was the most painful because mm-hmm. he mm-hmm. kept growing his back, the surgeries and all that. But I made it fun for him, and uh, and uh, he made it fun for me. You know, yeah, so yeah. he was always more worried about me than I was, you know, because I'd always say, no, no, you can't do it. Those take it easy, Timber. We can win. I mean, it was, it was, we had a lot of fun. So there and, wasn't, uh, it wasn't a point in time where you, you said that things changed. It was just gradually and being around each other and getting to know each other day after day on the road. That's that right. 
the relationship That's right. changed. And, and yeah, yeah, and and you know what? Uh, he's a human being, and uh, you know people uh, wish for being famous and all that kind of crap. It ain't worth it. It's not worth it. Oh. Spend one day in a celebrity. I mean, a mainline celebrity shoes where for one second, the minute you go in public, and now with the technology, you're never. I mean, you're just trapped, and it's it's not it's not good. It really mm. isn't, and they they understand that people get excited, and uh, there's the movie star, there's uh, there's the rock, there's uh, Andre, and Andre couldn't hide. That's the other thing. He couldn't he couldn't put on some makeup and wear a big jacket and walk through an airport. It was uh, it was nerve wracking, yeah. nerve wracking, and we, yeah, he was a- we left several hotels in the middle of the night because uh, we don't know. There's a uh, there's a uh, a Pony League convention. There's all these 13, 14 year old kids in the place, and mm-hmm. they see Andre come in and check into the hotel. Plus, they find out what room all night long. So he called me, "Let's go, boss," and we just move out. I mean, it's it's just crazy. And yeah. uh, I'll tell you one thing: if he was a gentle giant, because if he had a real bad attitude, that it would have been terrible. So it uh, it all worked out. And I loved him. And the most time, uh, uh, when we got back to the ranch in Ellery, and he put on his shorts and a T-shirt, and uh, we drive the four-wheelers, and he was, had his dogs, and and he could be left alone because he had a huge ranch. And that was right. the most I saw him relax and enjoy himself, really. Yeah. So. Well, it was great that he had a place that he could go and, and uh, actually just be away because people don't understand. And, and you mentioned that that uh, to, to people, they forget he's a human being and uh, that he would, that to him, there was just a spectacle. And I remember uh, being in an airport one time and he was, he would read his paper. He had his paper up and not, who knows if he was reading it, where it was just like a curtain to, and people would come up there and stand there sure. and Andre, 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 you know, and people didn't understand that, you know, that, that, that it wasn't him being rude. Yeah. Well, but John again, they're just so excited, and yeah. you can't blame them. Yeah. So, uh, honestly, uh, we'd, we'd get through security at an airport back when there was security, because we yeah. used, used to just walk right through. And uh, it, But by the time we got to the gate, there's 500 people chasing us down the hallway yeah. of the airport. What are yeah. you going to do? It's, it was just no, it was a really very stressful for me. I was just glad once we get out of the uh, airport and the, uh, the airplane. And got to, and of course, he had friends in every single part of the world that owned restaurants and bars and stuff. And we had there, and they they know he'd be coming, and they had it yeah. all set up where it was secure, and there wasn't any problems, and everything went great. So yeah. it was, it was, uh, it was fun. But uh, you know what? Uh, uh, another thing about Andre, like his 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 family were the wrestlers. Right. I mean, I know yeah. he had his biological. No, so he was the most comfortable not only at the ranch but in the locker room yeah. with the guys and the girls and anybody that was a wrestler. And um, the closest people that I ever uh, been with uh, that he would uh, go out and have fun with were um, were hockey players, and uh, <laughs> he was uh, he was good friends with. Uh, John Ferguson and um, uh, Bobby Orr, 
Carol mm-hmm. Vadney. There were a bunch of them. And I said, boss, how can, you know what? And he goes, because they, uh, the pro hockey players are the, are, the, are the closest to what the wrestlers are, you know? They play hard, they party hard, and they conduct themselves like professionals, and they're ready to go the next day. And, uh, yeah, so I got that, and I got to meet the, all those people, and uh, and uh, that was fun. But also, um, outside of hockey plays, he do nobody, no one. So we had this little sign, like, in the ring, where if we were sitting in, in an airport and someone – you know, that was, um, you know, a, a fellow celebrity or something would uh, walk up. And if if I gave him the Iggy and then he let him through, they, they, they'd speak their piece. So uh, we're in uh, the airport in Detroit. And uh, at the time, uh, Johnny Bench, right? Hall of Famer. He's walking by. He's a huge wrestling fan. So he spots Andre sitting there with me. And he comes forward. Now I know who he is. God, I love baseball, right? Holy uh-huh. mackerel. So I give him the up. So Johnny shakes his hand. He goes, oh, my God, boss. Oh, I call him Andre. I don't have mitts that big. <laughs> you know, catch his mitts. And Andre just went in. And go, so he goes, oh, listen, I don't want to be late for my flight, but I'd be remiss if I didn't stop and say hello. You are the greatest. And Andre just smiled. Good to meet you, boss. So he leaves, and then he goes, who was that? I said, that was Johnny Bench. That was Johnny Bench. He goes, who's he? I said, okay, there you go. So, uh, yeah. It's really funny. I remember when uh, you would come to Stanford and you and you mentioned the vans and they had that van with the the bubble top and the big giant captain's chair in back. Uh, right. And I, that must have been uh, when they got that. That must have been great for Andre because flying was so difficult when you could drive. You did. You drove everywhere, right? Well, yeah. If if it was within range, and uh, when Vince asked him to move closer to. Um, uh, as things were progressing. So, uh, he stayed at the, uh, Hyatt Regency in yeah. Greenwich yeah. and that's when they had that van man- manufactured for him because back in the days when they started with those, uh, you know, those, uh, uh, vans with the phone in it and VCR yeah. and, uh, the, you know, so they made one for him with the high, high, uh, headroom and right. one giant, uh, seat. And he was more comfortable in that. And watching them, we just, because I'm driving, we just talk and laugh. And, you know, we, he'd have some wine or whatever, and then we were moving. So, uh, but when we got into other um, um, airports, which weren't drivable, of course, I'd, I'd rent vans and sometimes even campus, you know, if he could get through the door, because he just couldn't fit in, a, in an automobile anymore. So, yeah. Um, uh, let me tell you what the biggest waste of time ever was. If they arranged a limo service to pick us up and a stretch limo pulled up, oh, God, yeah, wave it off. No, nah, no, because he couldn't get in. Yeah, and uh, you've been in stretch limos. They're, yeah, those are hard for anybody. You gotta, you, you gotta, you gotta crawl into the back seat. You can't. Yeah, it's all for show. So he wouldn't get. Nope. So I'd go to Hertz or someone and rent a van and go back up to the lounge or whatever and. Yeah, so I, I kept a book on um, where to rent 
in every city, so <laughs> it made it easier. Yeah. Well, it it must have been uh, quite an experience, and and uh, I'm sure you could, you know, in that documentary, you were you were so great in it, Tim. I mean, of, of anybody who I felt really captured uh, and shared who he really was, it was you. And there, and there were certainly other people on there. But uh, you were really uh, a big part of his life. Well, and again, I, I am so glad it came off like that. They did a wonderful job. I did run into, because um, uh, I, I, I go on appearances now with uh, talent to make sure everything's good. Yeah. And, I, and I ran into Carrie Hughes yeah. and um, Chris Sarandon, both from the Princess Bride movie. I love that and movie. And we sat and talked, and they said, what a pleasure, what a great guy. But uh, one quick story was Andre almost lost his spot in that movie um, because Carrie loved Andre so much so he'd come to his trailer at night they play cards and drink all night and the next day they pick you up at 4.30 to go to the set yes. and it was the outdoor scene on the side of the hills or cliffs or something and when they both got there uh, Rob Reiner goes what the hell because they both look like shit on camera so now there's a day of shooting wasted that's a big big a waste of a day so um uh, reiner made it to andre and goes look you might be the boss in that wrestling business i'm the boss here the all-night games the party and anything you're not gonna screw this picture up and in read him the riot act no one ever read him the riot act. Yeah, and no uh, as a, yeah so it was great because he didn't want him to lose his spot in the movie because a lot of people were concerned that they couldn't understand his verbiage and all that and uh, that all worked out and the movie was great but oh, seeing man. that uh carrie because he's done so great and so was chris sarandon and uh i met mandy patank and robert back in the day and um the only time i, I saw andre nervous you know, like you and I would get like shaking, nervous. Yeah, we went to the, we went together to the uh, premiere of uh, the Princess Bride in Toronto, Canada, and it was called the Festival of Festivals, and that's where they premiered the movie. They had the red carpet. They did the whole nine yards. When Andre sat in there, and I'm sitting next to him, and I'm watching him, and all the other people in the movie. Now he's being judged by movie critics and other people, not wrestling fans, right? He yeah. was shaking. Really? I mean, shaking. Yeah, wow. because wow. he'd never been judged, right? But um, when we returned, to, and then he was so happy when they was uh, standing ovation, everything he got when we left, and he was so happy when we uh, returned to the, uh, the ranch in Ellery, he had received, I don't know how many scripts, some other... Uh, because oh, they had no yeah. idea that he could act, right? Yeah. And he said, no, that's it. I just wanted to prove I could do it. I'm not a big, dumb wrestler. So uh, there you go. Were you on the set for that? The, all the shooting when he was there? No. Nope. Got there at the start, and then I left, and then I picked him up when he came back from doing the stuff in England. Yeah. And uh, next time he we went over there, he had his uh, back surgery. So. Yeah. 
I tell you, that is to this day one of my all-time favorite movies, it, it, and he was he was fantastic in it. I mean, you, how could you? Oh, you, you God. fell in love with Andre in that movie. You did, yeah. and uh, it was it was a perfect spot, uh, a perfect writing for him, and uh, and he and he pulled it off. And I I think that was uh, that was uh, voted on, uh, and I don't follow all that stuff. Yeah. One of the top twenty-five films ever made, and it's still to this day the greatest family picture to watch, and even for adults, right? To watch it, you're entertained through the whole thing. It's great, the humor and the the setup. Everything's terrific. So, yeah, he was really happy with the turnout on that. Well, there there were points, and and it, it was it was tough. There's no, it was not an easy life for Andre, and uh, and you really would have to know him as you did to understand that. But it's awesome that there there were there were points in his his life that he did experience that incredible joy, um, and and did have places that he went where he felt comfortable and and was able to have peace. Um, in the documentary, though, I wanted to ask you, it, it, they kind of portrayed Andre as like he was bitter in the end that the WWE had somehow used him up. And what I mean, how was it uh, in those those uh, ending years there? Um, I mean, from you knew him. So wh- what was the situation in, in uh, as his career ended? Um, well, he was in extreme pain. He was deteriorating, yeah. right? So uh, Vince, and this is just my opinion, uh-huh. Vince was putting a point and they loved each other to death. Yes. yes. But he was putting, I feel, he was in kind of um, in a position like, I can't do that to the boss anymore. He's the yeah. legend. I don't want, even though, see, because of what I said earlier, wrestling, the road, everything was his life. And when someone right. says, you're not coming on the road anymore. I would, uh, and uh, and this would be a fair analogy to anyone that ever had to take the keys off their parents. You can't drive anymore. Uh, yeah. All right. That's a so good now analogy. you you were the boss. You were the. So he never took advantage. Believe me, they loved him. They paid yeah. everything, anything he wanted, he got. Yeah. But why would you make him suffer even more? Even yeah. though he said he could, and, and believe me. I I didn't feel uh, as much as some people have asked me about that, but I just feel they were put in a position that um, do we want to see our friend, that guy that carried this business that we all love, try to keep doing it. When I mean, he was he was pretty much crippled up, and yeah. uh, and so that's that's the only spin I have on that, Sean. That's yeah. my feeling. And that's uh, that was like when I told him uh, my shoulder's better, I can referee. I couldn't keep up with those kids now. I'd blow up in a second. So, yeah. you know, that, yeah, you all have your time. But I have a life uh, outside of wrestling, family, and other things. And Andre, that was it. And when you, when you say to him, who's the boss, anywhere he went, that, um, you know, now we, you know, there's 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 nothing uh, booked for you right now. They were just really looking out for him. Yeah, no, me. that's exactly that, and that's exactly how I feel too. Because you saw, and I saw it earlier. You know uh, that you know seeing him uh, back in the, st- in the stage area in the locker room, and t- just the pain he was in, and then 
you know, trying to get out of the ring when he was on those hand crutches, and you would just look at him. Right. And I think that's yeah. exactly yeah. like you said. You could you'd see him and go. Yeah, like, and it got and, and Sean it kept getting worse. Yeah. Oh man. And uh, yeah. the last time I saw him, when I left the ranch, and I, and I had mentioned this on the A and E by, I cried like a baby when I got to the gate at the end, seeing him in the pain and everything, but. Uh, uh, Frenchie and Jackie would uh, taking good care of me. He just, it is what it is. But uh, uh, the, uh, don't let me dismiss this quickly because he loved Vince's dad like it was his own dad. And when Vince's dad passed away, he cried for two days. I never saw anything like it. Okay, and well. with Vince, they were like brothers. And, oh, God, they knocked heads on things, but it was all good for the business. And they loved each other. And yeah. when when uh, when uh, Stephanie and Shane would visit him or be around, especially Stephanie, when she would walk into the room, he'd light up like a like the Christmas tree at Rockefeller Center. He loved her, and she, and she loved him. At the end, someone had to do what was best for him as a yeah. person. So uh, and. Uh, you know, they had hard. to do it, but believe me, it had nothing to do with finances or anything like that, because uh, no matter what he needed, he was going to get, but they just felt like we're, we're killing the guy that we love, yeah. you know? But it was so difficult. Because that's the only life that he knew right. was being on the road. Yeah. So. That was his life. I mean, like you said, he was, his his family was those guys in the locker room with playing cards with Alfred right. and... But, well, I, you know, I, I met with his uh, brothers and sister, and I met his mom and dad at Easter uh, dinner over there in Molien and all that. They hardly knew him. He left when he was a teenager, mm-hmm. and uh, he'd come back and visit. But did they know anything? I mean, they, that they knew that, that he was their brother, or, yeah. or, and that uh, mom, and we had a blast, but... Then we wouldn't go back for two or three years. So he was, you know, his his family was the business, the traveling, the people he met through all the years. Like I said, he knew everywhere, everywhere we landed. So it was fun. So you knew that last time that you uh, left the ranch, that was probably the last time you'd see him? Did you have a, a yes. premonition? Oh, I cried, cried, mm-hmm. cried. And then I get a call from Frenchy, and I think it's uh, that Andre he goes, no. He goes, Andre's dad passed away. He's leaving for Paris this afternoon. Uh-huh. And uh, that, that I think that flight, and then getting back to his, his home, the Par- you know, France. And then after he buried his dad, he uh-huh. went back and he had a few more drinks and that was there. He made it over there, but uh, I kind of knew in my heart. And uh, like I said, I knew that, but I told him, I'll be back, boss. I'll see you. And where are you going? I said, well, I'm, I'm in Texas next or wherever. And uh, uh, honestly, when I got the call, and then, of course, I get a call four or five days later that uh, that Andre had passed. So, yeah. um, and again, I said this on the HBO. I didn't want that to happen to my friend who I love dearly. So uh, I wanted to be right by his side. And, yeah. Uh, um, uh, they said, well, at least, you know, he didn't, he didn't die. And he died in, in France and his family were there to come and be yeah. with him. So he didn't 
really die alone, but I wanted to be there with them because yeah. uh, all the all the stuff we had gone through together. So. Yeah. Well, I tell you, Tim, that's that's really what stayed with me in that documentary when you said that at the end that you just wish you would have been there with him. And it just shows uh, that it had nothing to do with business. It had nothing to do with uh, anything else besides you just loving that man, you know, and, and, uh, yeah, really, it, it, I mean, we, we loved each yeah. other, looked out yeah. for each other. Believe me, people thought I was taking care of him. He was taking care of me. Half the time, <laughs> believe me. Yeah. So, well, what a career. And, uh, I, I hope someday maybe you'll put it down. Did you ever just uh, think about, uh, well, you know what? I've been asked a million times yeah. now and, yeah. uh, because of all the guys I've traveled with and met and the people yeah. I've done and the matches and all, and um, not to be a smart ass, but I say, you know, you have to you have to read a book before you can write a book. <laughs> yeah, you're a smart ass. That's good. <laughs> so that just lets me up. But uh, <laughs> but uh, you know what? Someday if I again, when I sit down and think, but I'm sitting in my office here and I'm looking at pictures yeah. from all around the world. And what yeah. uh, man, I'll tell you what. I am the luckiest son of a bitch that ever walked the face of the earth. I have a great family. The uh, job I've had for 36 years, it couldn't be better. Mm-hmm. What I'm doing now just to keep busy is fantastic. I'm with the, uh, these new uh, guys that I, I used to referee their grandfathers and their fathers. And then mm-hmm. I know everyone. I love getting out there. And it's not the 300 plus day a year grind it's just the uh, three or four days a month and it's perfect really yeah. sean i don't know how you know again just right place right time and then i saw something huge was happening and i and i stayed on and um, what a great decision believe yeah. me well i uh know you had the friendly tap uh, it's still in existence right you just uh Sold it to some yes, I sold it, and was... and believe me, uh, the new owners are uh, they're off the chart. They're absolutely great, and every time I go home, which I'll be heading shortly, I go and and of course all the uh, patrons that you uh, still there that uh, when I owned it said, "Boy, you were a lazy bastard as an owner <laughs> because the place never looked better." <laughs> I said, "Well, you jerks were drinking here then, you're still here, so." I didn't spend any money on you guys. He did. Well, anyway. That's great. Yeah, We loved it. You know, Vince was kind enough to put the friendly tap on our Monday Night Raw four or five times. Andre and Arnie and I would always go there whenever we were in Boston or Providence mm-hmm. or close by. And uh, they were, you know, the greatest people in the world. It's in that little town of Cumberland. And talk about, uh, you know, it's named the friendly tap. There was two fights there in the 25 years I owned it, and I started them both. So there you go. That tells you something. Well, I hope if I'm ever back there in Cumberland, we can meet up there. We'll talk uh, the days with the WWF, and we'll we'll share a few baseball stories. I have a lot of great stories you'd love to hear. You know what, Sean? That'd be an absolute pleasure because I think the world of you, I did. And when you first called me, uh, I, you know, I said that that'd be great because, uh, yeah, you've gone on, you've moved on. I, you know, I'd be down in New York and see you anchoring the news and doing stuff. Life keeps moving. And I'm sure you've made all the right decisions, but you were terrific to work with and you're a great guy. 
Yeah, and we we did have some fun, and that uh, was, stands to this day as uh, one of the greatest periods of my life. And uh, so many, no, nowhere else was it ever more interesting, that's for sure. But Tim, thank you for being a part of so many great moments in the ring and, and uh, you know, sharing some great stories and insight into one of the greatest personalities in sports entertainment, Andre. And uh, great catching up with you, man. Tim, thank you so much for coming on Primetime. Same, same here, Sean. Uh, I, I appreciate you having me on. And uh, we will see each other down the road, as they say. All right, my friend. Take care. Take care, Sean.